Hello, my name is Dr. Kim Farina, and I'm a veterinarian and host of Pause and Reflect with Zoetis, provided to you by Zoetis Pet Care. Welcome to season eight. Eight is great. Can't wait. Well, you don't have to wait because here we are. As always, we will cover a variety of topics that will help you succeed in veterinary medicine. We will also continue to focus on corporate veterinary practice. So for veterinarians who work in these groups, this will be super helpful. Season eight will have three episodes covering different types of veterinary care models. We'll cover everything from value-based care to whole health care. Now, maybe you're thinking, I don't even know what that means. Well, I can tell you right now it's important, so listen in. As pet ownership continues to grow and professional well-being remains top of mind, different veterinary models are essential to wrap our heads around so we can care for all pets in need. In today's episode, we will explore the access to convenient veterinary care model. Our guest today is Dr. Lauren Olivesen, Chief Medical Officer for Pet IQ and board member of the Veterinary Leadership Institute. We're so glad you're here. Uh, great, thank you. I, I appreciate being here this morning with you, Kim. <laughs> so you're a prominent leader in the veterinary profession and tell us about your current role and your background. Yeah, so um, I'm a graduate of the University of Tennessee, and uh, right after uh, graduation, I actually joined a five-doctor small animal practice in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I, I really, truly believe that was actually a really special place for me to, to land uh, right out of vet school uh, because I had a, a group of really four dedicated uh, doctors who were mentors for me, um, kind of set me on a really great path and a great experience uh, for the beginning. Um, that really, that experience also opened my eyes to organized veterinary medicine. In particular, um, the importance of contributing to organized veterinary medicine and taking an active role. In fact, the, the practice owner um, um, served on the AVMA um, board for several years and really instilled in all of us the importance of giving back to the profession. And so I became pretty active in, in regional veterinary medical associations and um, really then went on to state. Um, and that was my first entry point into understanding the importance of a network. Um, and from that actually opened my eyes to some other opportunities within uh, practice, uh, beyond practice, really. Um, so actually um, about five years, a little bit under five years into to private practice, um, took the leap, an opportunity came by and to join Animal Pharma. Um, I, I joined as a professional service veterinarian for several years for um, Animal Pharma Company and learned a lot, uh, met a lot of people, expanded my network um, and um, really started to, to get an idea of other opportunities, uh, moved into diagnostics as um, a really medical outreach um, for the company itself. Uh, again, focused on um, talking with, working with, learning from key thought leaders, um, talking to colleagues about advancing veterinary medicine. Um, and then uh, really just actually two short years ago or almost two short years ago, um, I joined Pet IQ, kind of coming full circle uh, as a, a chief medical officer uh, for, for this company and really something that I think calls to me more than anything uh, as a veterinarian is back to uh, clinical practice. Uh, uh, Pet IQ, we focus on the delivery of affordable and convenient uh, really products as well as veterinary services. And we focus on preventive health care um, and trying to expand access to care and really in those unserved and underserved pet populations in the country. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't wait to talk to you about this. Um, There have been so many opinions about the state of the veterinary profession as it relates to the increased volume of pet ownership and then the added dynamic of COVID. I'm I'm eager. I'm, I'm ready to hear your thoughts on what's happening in the profession right now. Yeah, I, I think it's it, it's really an interesting time. And when you reflect back on it, um, I think first off, you know, increased own, pet ownership. We yeah. know that the numbers of households with pets has been growing. It's been growing for some time. We know with COVID and the pandemic, there was a really an, an inward focus to home and to family and to connection and 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 you know additions to of pets to to those households grew as well during that time. I think the pandemic gave us an opportunity to experience at home the importance of pets for our families. And so that grew. I also know that as a profession, um, we've looked at uh, the benefits of, of pet ownership um, on you know individuals in the family and first group comes to mind, Habri, um, doing great research and about the positive and physical, mental wellness benefits that having pets in our lives brings to us. Um, I, th- I think those are all good things and they're all, those are all really great um, positive um, growth, um, you know, signs of growth for, for the profession. Um, I think the other important thing to remember is, is that with pet parents being focused on their pets and, and looking inward, they're invested in learning more about providing health and wellness needs of, of, you know, and actually building homes that enrich the lives of their pets because their pets are family. Um, that's not changed. I think that that is actually really amplified. These are all positive contributors, right? Those, these are really positive for the profession as a whole. Um, however, the added dynamic of COVID, um, that has complicated things. For us as a profession, it really has slowed our ability to meet the growing demand um, of you know veterinary healthcare, and that's that's had some some, some really negative impacts. It's it's slowed our workflows um, to try and accommodate for new protocols, curbside protocols to deliver essential services. Um, we kind of shifted our models to focus on essential services, and so we pushed you know preventive care to the side of bit and just kind of focused on on the essential needs there. So that kind of caused uh, some backlog, um, and so to speak. We saw impacts, we've seen impacts, and we still do on the availability of veterinary professional team members. That's veterinarians, that's that's paraprofessionals, um, that's staff. And and for various reasons, um, all of these things have actually contributed to, to complicating the situation, adding pressure and the stress um, that we're all feeling, um, whatever our role is in, in, in trying to deliver veterinary care. Um, Albeit with the fact that we actually know that there are a lot of pets out there and there are a lot of pet parents that are they're wanting to do the right thing and, and to provide care for their pets. So I think I think it's in it, one of the things that, that we've come at Pet IQ and I know talking with other colleagues is that now more than ever, it's it's about kind of just talking about it, putting it out there and discussing how do we get back? How do we get back to the healthy growth place and space for vet practices? That help you know to try and help alleviate the burnout, the the high turnover, and back to really enjoying the practice of delivering veterinary care, um, because that's really one of the main reasons we all became veterinary professionals. Uh, is is really that's that's what we've dedicated ourselves to. So, I, I would say that there are positives, and if we can see the positives and try and get back and 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 really start to discuss and work together on being innovative, on approaching ways to actually solve, um, you know, where we find ourselves. Um, that there really is a good place for us to be on the other side of this. 
Yeah. I want to talk about those demands and getting back on track. I thought that was really interesting because during the pandemic, some veterinary clinics could only provide essential care and preventive care and wellness, as you said, kind of fell by the wayside. So how do we get these vital parts of veterinary care back into the rotation? You know, how do we get these pets, as you said, you know, back on track? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, if we if we take a step back, we aren't the only we aren't the only profession that's that's dealing with this, right? Is is that we can even take, you know, close uh, cuz in the human healthcare, right? How how many people, how many of our parents, um, you know, our grandparents, even ourselves pushed off preventive screenings. Um, and in other care only now being faced with some challenging medical conditions, medical decisions as a result of that. So we know the impacts personally, and the same thing in, in instances, you know, as has occurred for the pets um, that are part of our families across the country. So I, I think I think we, you know, we share in that we now are in sort of a traffic jam. We've got the the backlog of preventive care. We know the importance. We understand it as a profession that preventive care is key. It's key to understanding and trending and catching things early um, in instituting important, um, you know, vaccines and and other preventatives to to prevent. um, And in those instances, catch where we have things kind of developing and addressing them early. We know that's important. the, the challenge really is sitting on that we already have a, a quite a large caseload of acute and chronic conditions. Some of those naturally happening as a result of just day in and day out of pets, of lives being um, lived by pets and, and, and their pet parents. But we also know the backlog of not having the preventive care screenings, pushing those off has actually added on top. Um, and so, and so it's, it's, it's tough. It's caused higher, um, higher, uh, caseloads sl- with the slower workflows and, and as such really, you know, the burnout and the turnover. So I think to kind of take a look at this, I think what I think about is resilience. I think we have to think about that, that we, we do have the, the capabilities, um, and, and the resilience is there for veterinarians and for our healthcare teams to think about and explore new ways new ways to address, to connect with pets and pet parents, um, help them understand what their options are, and then connect with each other in an environment. And that may mean that that means different models, additional models to the traditional way of delivering care so that we can try and work through um, the backlog and provide, you know, education and, and, and the veterinary care that the pets need. I think Contributing to the day-to-day challenges in clinics, it's really frustration, is being experienced by the pet parents. They're experiencing this too, just like we are. And I think understanding that and trying to pull these two threads together, we know we're being challenged. And so how can we look for creative solutions? Is it, you know, what, what are our options technologically, innovatively, and really exploring and being open to other models and other groups that can take and, and focus on preventive care, like Pet IQ, right? We focus on preventive care. We have that ability where, you know, we're not appointment-based. It's a walk-in to come in and, and address the, the preventive care needs and then work and then pass. And when they go back to their, their regular full-service veterinarian for their other needs, that that part, you know, that partnership can be there to help work through, through the backlog. It really comes down to just connecting, communicating, and being open to other models and working together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I really think you covered all the implications that this situation has put us in. And so I think, um, you know, I think you did a great job of just explaining like all the different parts that were affected by this. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit. In, in an ideal world, 
all pets would have adequate veterinary care. Now, access to care can be a barrier, though. So how do we how do we solve this problem? Yeah, I, I really I'm pretty passionate about um, about how how do we face this? How because this acts barriers to care really is not new with COVID with a pandemic. It's, we 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 know that there are barriers and there are there are, are lots of different categories as to why pets and pet parents, um, you know, um, aren't able to seek care or access care. I think this sits on the shoulders of the profession. That, that we we need to take the lead. Kind of if I go back to when I was in practice and and the the, the practice owner instilled that that we own this. We own the responsibility to to talk uh, about challenges um, and seek out opportunities and 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 own um, um, a part or if not all of of trying to to find the solution to this. Uh, I think we can move this from being a burden to an opportunity by coming together. Um, I, there are groups that have done that to try and recognize and define, to better define the actual barriers and what that means and actually what are the perceptions of, of those barriers. What, what is the perception of the veterinary, the veterinary professional or the veterinary clinic to those barriers and how does the pet parents see their way or their opportunities to actually work through those or of, overcome those? There really is a need to come together and work collaboratively and that's specialty, urgent care, emergency care, primary care, minor medical, telehealth, all of those things, really, if we are open to the possibility of incorporating and leveraging other models and technologies, this would allow us to optimize efforts and resources across the spectrum of our professional and healthcare teams. But it does require open minds and a willingness to actually have the conversation. Yeah, yeah, you have to have the conversation. You mentioned technology. So I actually want to talk about telehealth. Do you think telehealth provides a solution to an unmet need? Absolutely. It's interesting. Um, I think telehealth, we've, we've talked a lot. Telehealth became a really um, hot topic uh, with the pandemic as a way to, to try and connect um, and stay connected and to deliver, um, in some instances, actually triage and, and work through services. Um, it's interesting is, is that, in my opinion, in my experience, is that telehealth has always actually been a part of practice, a veterinary practice, right? Um, just going back, you know, it's the telephone, right? Or email where it's, it's you know, end of the day and I've got the list of callbacks that I have to make because pet parent, they've come home and they've found, um, you know, they found Scrappy who, not sure, do I need to come in? That's tele. That's teletriage, right? And and that was happening real time. You know, following up after a surgery and saying, "How are things going? What are you seeing?" Um, you know, sounds like we're on the right track. Or no, maybe you need to come by and take. And, and I need to take a look at that that incision site. Again, that's telehealth, right? Telehealth is is it's really combines and and is an overarching umbrella of a lot of different ways to stay connected and to provide care, advice, education, and triage. Um, and so I think that we have just started to really understand and recognize that it actually can do a lot more. It can be leveraged in a lot of different situations to provide that care, to provide education, to triage, um, and actually help with the management and the prioritization of caseloads coming in to the practice. And we haven't come close to utilizing the innovations and in platforms, the companies that are innovating and creating options for us out there to stay connected and, more importantly, expand access to care. So short answer Yes, it's a vital part of the solution, really, in addressing our unmet needs. It's really the question is, how are we going to organize around it as a profession? How are we going to leverage it and recognize the importance of it and innovate together to make it easier 
um, for our teams to connect and make it easier for pet parents to actually leverage the technology in a faster, more efficient way. Yes, absolutely. Making it easier for those pet parents and our staff. I think I think you hit the nail on the head. Exactly. I um, I, I want to talk more about models, but first we're actually going to put the brakes on for just a moment um, because it's time for a pause and reflect with Zoetis quiz. Now, the quizzes on this podcast actually have nothing to do with veterinary medicine. Um, so it's just, it's actually a time to show your expertise in a topic other than veterinary medicine. Um, take a deep breath <laughs> and relax because like the rest of the episodes, there are no prizes. So if you win or if you lose, I, I can't mail you anything. So um, you just get some cheering sound effects from our producer. And I have a bell when you get an answer right. And um, we're just going to have fun. So do you have okay. any questions? I don't think so. All right. Excellent. Let's do it. Okay. The episode's quiz is called, I think I heard this before. I'm going to read you some common riddles a child might ask you, and you have to answer them. And I have the bell and we have the cheering sound effects, as I said. And um, let's start there. All right. Question number one, what has hands and a face, but can't hold anything or smile? A watch? A clock. I get <laughs> Nicely done. How many months of the year have 28 days? How many months of the year have 28 days? Well, um, all of them have 28 days. <laughs> right on. Most people just say February. So you are rocking it, Lauren. All right. There's only one word in the dictionary that's spelled wrong. What is it? Wrong. You're absolutely right. W-R-O-N-G. All right. You're running a race, and at the very end, you pass the person in second place. What place did you finish the race in? Pass the person in second place? Um, I finished in first. No? No? Try again. You pass the person in second place. So what place did you finish the race in? I... Don't see this one. Well, you're in second place because if you oh, pass the second that's person, right. you're right. Uh, you're right. You're doing great. My God, I, this is amazing. <laughs> so what what two things can you never eat for breakfast? I don't know. That one. Mm -mm. Lunch and dinner. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> what do you usually have for breakfast? Cereal. Do you? I do. Cereal. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been known to have chocolate and pizza, so I, you know, oh. I think anything's game for breakfast. <sighs> well, great work. I mean, wow. Well done. <laughs> That's fun. All right. Let's get back to the interview. Um, okay. So competing models in veterinary medicine mm -hmm. has always been a sensitive topic. Do you feel there's room for diverse models in the profession? Yes, I do. And I think it's actually needed um, within the profession. I mean, everything that we've spoken to up to this point about, um, you know, the, the, the backlog um, and really trying to manage and expand access to care, um, really diverse models are needed um, it, to solve um, those issues. I, I think we operate with a pet centric um, focus in our medicine. We always do that, right? So let's take an example. A pet comes into the exam room with their pet parent well, each pet is different in their in, in their in their their situation or their condition. The pet parent is 
has different, um, you know, comes from a different place, has different ways and different means to actually follow through or make decisions um, on, on how they're going to um, provide the care for the pet. So in the exam room, we, it requires different models, different approaches, depending on the patient and the pet parent that are in front of us. So why would we think that only one or two or a few models are appropriate for actually delivering veterinary care as a whole? Um, right. And remember the, the, the saying in vet school is, is that no pet reads the textbook. Um, right. No case does the same thing here. So I think as a profession, it's it's about being comfortable with change and open to new models. And, and those new models allow for new technologies and new aspects that are really actually bring legitimate um, components, new components to the practice of veterinary medicine in order to meet the needs of the pets um, that we care for. I think a starting point to change is understanding the current realities as it relates. Again, we talked about this, the barriers to care, um, understanding those. That's a really good starting point to think about different ways of actually delivering care. We talked about financial being one of those barriers. Um, and, and, and pet IQ, we, we look to, we look at, and one of our, our, um, um, primary goals is about affordability. And so how can we do that in a way that stays true to, to best, um, care, preventive care, um, and, and working and, and advocating for the pet parent to make the best decisions for themselves and for their pet. Um, so I think that that's one area to focus on where models, different models can actually help support that. Another, um, would be really centered around geography. Um, you know, we know we have areas, and I've heard I've heard this term, and I, and I know others probably have as well, about veterinary deserts in this country. We have areas, ge- geographies in this country where there are there is no veterinary care. It takes miles, um, you know, tens of miles or, or hundreds of miles to get to um, a veterinarian. Um, and so, what are models that can actually address that? Well, those are mobile models. Um, going into areas and actually setting up to provide the basics of care, preventive care or other types of care, that's telehealth, right? Using telehealth capabilities to actually reach out um, to areas where we can bring in and make a connection and provide care. All of those require different models and different models and, and adding, again, adding to the models, the tradi- traditional models that we are, we're used to and we know, um, but also being open to um, new models as well. Um, and we've got to work together as a profession to actually recognize those as that they are important. They are, they do contribute and they are a part about um, providing continuity of care for the pet and pet parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and let's talk about connecting and communication, which is what you touched on earlier. How can we partner with one another for the well-being of our patients? I, I think there are a lot of groups doing that, right? I think that there are groups out there that are that are focused on innovation and and trying to drive innovation. There are there are groups focused on and willing to talk about the barriers and doing research, um, and and then there are groups on how, taking that information um, and and working together, whether that's corporate practices. And if you look at the basis of it, we do that in areas where uh, in a community where there's not an emergency facility a full time. And so the local practices work together and share that responsibility. It's a similar process, right? Is, is that really just being open to sitting down, having the conversation, recognizing the shared challenges, and then talking through what are the opportunities to actually bring in new technologies, new models, and, and, and working together to, um, to, to address those. Similar process, similar concepts that, that we've, we've done um, and to, to solve um, issues within our own um, areas, our hometowns. Um, it's just expanding them out on a larger scale. I, I totally follow you. Um, I want to go back to something. 
I'd actually first like to dive deeper into your leadership role because you are showing us right now that you have a very unique vantage point. But I want to ask you a kind of a separate question from what we're talking about. What advice do you have for those of us who want to explore other career options besides clinical practice? We're talking a lot about, you know, the 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 profession as a whole, but you're in such a fantastic place right now. What advice would you give um, folks who are like, you know, I, I want to do something beyond um, you know, going into a practice every day? Yeah, yeah. I it's it's a really great question. And I actually get asked this a lot. I mean, if I'm at a university with with vet students um, at a conference, um, even friends and colleagues, right, that that, that are curious. I, I I do really consider myself very fortunate in the opportunities that I've had. And they varied, right? I I've I uh, in private practice, um, in organized veterinary medicine, uh, uh, I'm working in corporate practice in animal pharma. Uh, in in diagnostics. And it really, part of it centers around, a big part of it centers around being open um, to possibilities and to, and to making, you know, considering and making a change. Um, the other is really centered around the network. Um, I cannot stress how important building and sustaining and really leveraging your network is to bringing opportunities to you. I remember one time where I was, I knew I was ready for a change. Um, I, I felt like I had, had accomplished a lot of where I was and I was ready for that next step, but I really didn't know what was out there and I wasn't quite sure which direction because I recognized that there were a lot. I could, you know, you could be in industry, you could be in academia, there, there, you know, government um, in, you know, um, uh, all sorts of, of options that are out there um, with a veterinary degree. Uh, it's amazing. Um, and, and I really leaned into my network. I literally was, remember I was sitting at the table at a dinner with, with some colleagues and said, I think I'm ready for a change now, but I'm not quite sure where to go. Um, you know, what do you guys think? Uh, and, and it, it, it moved into a, 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 Hey, I know somebody who is working in this area. They're looking to try and expand this case. It was medical outreach. They, they want to create a team here. Let me connect you guys. Right and, and have a conversation. Um, and it, I, when I when I think back and I look back about how I've actually navigated through and the decisions I've made, it's all been centered around the information, the feedback, and um, the opportunities that have come to me through my network. Um, so prioritize uh, the network, build it. It's it can be there as a group as as a source of comfort, information, um, opportunities, um, and actually be a, a, an, a, an ability for you to be able to share your experiences right with others and and help others. So um, like I said, a, a veterinary medical degree just opens so many doors. Um, I think when I graduated from vet school, it was. I'm going to, my options are go back and get do an internship and a residency, go into practice, um, or, and then potentially buy or, or start my own practice. That that's so limiting, right? There's so many other options. Um, just take a moment, consider, um, opportunities that come in front of you. And sometimes it does require you to take a deep breath and a leap of faith, um, where you may not think that, that, that you can do it. Um, but just if something sparks your interest, it is absolutely well, well worth exploring and reaching out to your network and just, and exploring it with others. Yeah. And I bet you'd agree with me that you don't just reach out to your network when you need something. It actually requires cultivating kind of all the time. All the time. It's so important because it, your network will change and it will change with you, but it actually expands 
or contracts, depending on how much you invest in it. Um, and you absolutely must have a focus and prioritize the network and stay connected um, because it actually um, it kind of cuts it. it you, you, it's a, you lose a source of information. You lose a source of connection there if you don't. And so it is it is it does require to invest and invest the time um, to expand and to grow it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let's talk about success uh, a little bit. You know, some of our listeners may be new graduates from vet school or tech school. Any words of wisdom you'd like to share for new folks entering the profession today? We talked about the importance of networking, but is there anything else you'd share? Yeah, I, I think that um, a big piece here is, is is really to experience lots of different things and 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 when when you move from when you graduate um and, and i've um, had a lot of i've, I've had the a, a great opportunity within the, with my work with the veterinary leadership institute because that's a focus on veterinary students um and then my work um uh, with 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 universities across the country and, and tech programs is is that I think that there's there's kind of a drop off when you graduate that you do have this support in in school as you're training you, you create a network there um, and 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 yet you have a limited view potentially of what your opportunities are once you graduate and so it kind of sometimes can feel as though that you you kind of drop off at graduation and it's kind of like now what I'm kind of here on my own um, which direction do I go I don't have this this group or this network that that I was um, you know, living and working um, and, and learning um, with day in and day out for the last, you know, several years and earning my degree. Um, th- I think it, it really is important to understand that that doesn't stop, that, um, you know, to continue to learn, to continue to experience, continue to connect um, and continue to be curious about what options you have and that, that um, you know, how, how can we do this better? Embrace your role um, as a veterinary professional. It's an important one. Have a voice um, in in what's happening, where you are, and where you're trying to make a difference. Um, and and going back to when I um, joined my first practice is, is that we all have a responsibility um, to give back and to drive and and really promote and advance this profession. And you do that by being engaged and involved. And hey, how about that? That actually helps grow your network and expand your experiences and um, opens up new opportunities for you. So all very, very good things to consider and, um, and, and invest in. I love this, Lauren. Engaging experience. I mean, this is, this is phenomenal. We have time for one more question, which is what is your favorite thing about being a veterinarian? My absolutely favorite thing uh, is, is that I, every day I have the ability to make a positive impact on a pet, a pet parent or a, another colleague or another person in this profession. Um, because I'm, I'm, I meet and I, and my, my, my roles, all of my roles, I'm out and about and, and I travel and I get to see, um, and, and visit, um, and visit and see how, how it's happening, how medicine is happening all across the country. Um, and I take that and, and I translate that into how I make decisions and make, and make sure that it's making a positive impact. So, um, if, if I wasn't making a positive impact, um, I, I don't think that um, I'd still be doing what I'm doing. Um, so that's what I love the most is um, just being able to do that every day. Oh, amazing, isn't it? Oh, love it. Well, we are out of time, but thank you for joining us today. It was Absolutely. a pleasure to have you on the show. No, this was fantastic spending this time. Thank you for taking me a little bit about down memory lane there, but also um, to be able to share 
um, in some really, I think, really exciting things for that, that are in front of us as a profession. Yes, very exciting. So thank you again. Thank you. This is the second episode of season eight of Pause and Reflect with Zoetis, but episode three is coming up next with a chief veterinarian who hit it out of the ballpark at the Veterinary Innovation Summit. She has some good tips you're not going to want to miss. Subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to, and you will be notified when it launches. I'm Dr. Kim Farina, and this has been Pause and Reflect with Zoetis.